0: It's so great to be back here with all of you at Greenbelt Online. If you're new with us today, my name is Kevin. I serve as the lead pastor here at Greenbelt Church. And my family and I, we've been kind of on vacation for the last couple of weeks. I'm sure vacation nowadays is very different than what it used to be a year ago, but it was just a great time to connect as a family and to rest and relax. So appreciate those of you who pray for our family regularly. And a big thank you to Mike and Ron who continued our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke in our series, King for All all. Today, we're going to kind of just jump right back into this. I'm not going to give any kind of leading question. I'm not going to try to, you know, basically, you know, ask some kind of question or some put some thought in your head to get you to kind of pay attention to me. Basically, I want this text to really kind of speak for itself today, because as we continue looking at Luke's gospel, we're going to be looking at a parable in Luke chapter 16 today. And this parable, um, well, it's difficult. And not that it's difficult in its understanding and what's going on in it. It's difficult because this parable can create a lot of division in the church. It it creates a lot of controversy. And honestly, in the culture and in the world that we live in, both in the church world and outward, outside, um, there's a lot of denial about some of the teaching of this parable. And so I really want to make sure that we lean in closely to this passage today that we're going to look at. Because what tends to happen with a passage like this, with a parable like this, because it's familiar, because it's controversial, and because it's got some principles and some nuances in here that can really bring us down some theological and spiritual rabbit trails. And it's so important whenever we study the Bible, we always have to study the Bible in its context. You can't just take a parable, you just can't take a verse, you just can't take a paragraph and basically study it on its own Without studying the text around it, without knowing the author's intention, without kind of seeing the bigger picture of what Scripture teaches, right? That's why you know we always say here at the church when you take the text out of the context, all you're left is left with is a con, and we always want to make sure that we don't do that here. So this parable, controversial, divisive, um, denial. But ultimately, those details that we get stuck on, the details that we divide churches over, the the details that we deny, ultimately is not the point of the parable. It's not the point of the parable. Luke is drawing us into a very, very important topic here. And the topic is that Luke wants each and every one of us, he wants everyone who hears the story of Jesus here, to look deep into their hearts. So today's message is an opportunity for me, it's an opportunity for you to look deep into your heart today. Don't worry about the heart of the person who's sitting next to you, or the person that you're thinking of who's far away. Today is a moment between you and God, as we look at this text together today. So get comfortable, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, and today we're going to kind of go through the story in a different kind of way today. Uh, During this COVID-19 pandemic, um, it's been a little challenging for people to use their gifts and their talents and their abilities to build up the church and to be a blessing to other people. It's just been a crazy season of ministry. And, And we as a church, we firmly believe that people will grow more spiritually when you make worship a regular part of your life, when you connect with other believers in a life group, and when you use your gifts and your talents and your abilities, to be a blessing to other people. So we're always trying to find creative ways for people to use their talents. So recently we learned of a talent of one of our young students named Joel. So Joel has this talent of, kind of teaching Bible stories in a creative way. So I'm going to turn things over to Joel's video to read us the story of the rich man and Lazarus.
1: There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was left at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. Hey, that's not a dog, that's Chewbacca. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off, with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this flame. Son, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received his bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot... Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, then I beg you to send them to my father's house, because I have five brothers, you're holding up two fingers. Listen, wise guy, it's hard to hold up five fingers with these claw hands, okay? I have five brothers. Warn them, so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded if someone rises from the dead.
0: That was so great. Thank you so much Joel for putting that together. We really really appreciate it. You know, and that was kind of a fun, you know, lighthearted humorous way to look again at a difficult topic, at a controversial topic, it's the topic of hell. light and fluffy topic to come back to right after my vacation. Good thing I am well-rested and replenished to attack a topic like hell. But here's the thing. Ultimately, this isn't a teaching that focuses on the doctrine of hell. Even though there are Descriptions of it, there are principles at play within this parable that talks about the afterlife, that talks about eternity. It's ultimately not Jesus's purpose in telling this parable. Jesus wasn't teaching this story in order to teach people around them about the afterlife. So let's look a little bit at the context here so that we can learn what Jesus's ultimate goal is with this text. And so that you and I can each look at our hearts and see how we're doing in this area that Jesus highlights, because it is crucial in our walks with God. So let's look a little bit here. So in Luke chapter 15, we see that Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners right and the 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 religious people the pharisees don't like who jesus is hanging out with like the Pharisees don't like tax collectors. And we've seen this many times in Luke's gospel. That Pharisees look down on tax collectors. These are the men who collect money from the people of Israel. And they, they take money off the top. They, they manipulate people. They steal from them. They keep that money for themselves. And they pay the taxes to the Roman occupiers in the land of Israel. So they're despised. They're like scum of the scum. They're, they're the worst of the worst. The lowest of the low. So you've got these tax collectors and these sinners all hanging out together. And Jesus is with them. He's gathered with them. They're listening to his teaching. Now, see, when Pharisees would be teaching they wouldn't be surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. They'd be surrounded, you know, they surround themselves in the elite, the religious elite, the important people of their society. And so Jesus is, you know, this is the context. This is where, this is the environment that Jesus is in when he's teaching right now. And these religious leaders, these Pharisees, we see they listen to the teachings of Jesus and they mutter. They're muttering about Jesus. And so Jesus tells three parables here in Luke chapter fifteen. He tells the parable of the lost coin, tells the parable of the lost son and and um, and he tells the parable of the lost sheep and he's talking about the heart of God when it comes to the lost. That's why it's repeated three times, right lost coin, lost son, lost sheep it's that he's reminding his listeners, the tax collectors and the sinners. And the Pharisees, the religious people, reminding them that the heart of God is for lost people. The heart of God is for people that are far from him. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And, so, and then he goes into another story where he starts talking about the love of money. And he's talking about the love of money. And this is where we see this very famous verse where it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, right? And so at this point, what we see here in uh, Luke chapter 16 and verse 14, is the Pharisees move from muttering about Jesus And then they move into sneering about Jesus. And these words are significant. See, muttering means it's a private, expressed complaint it's a private dissatisfaction. It's a private grumbling. It's the whole turning over to your neighbor and going, I can't believe that this person is talking like this. And I can't believe that they believe that. And I can't believe this is what they're teaching about this passage. Okay. That's that, That's muttering. The sneering is the action of speaking in contemptuous or mocking manners. It's public. It's, out loud for all to hear. It's the eye-rolling, the groaning, can't believe that Pastor Kevin thinks that that passage is about that. Can't believe Pastor Kevin believes, or whatever it might be. It's out loud, mocking, contemptuous, speak about someone. And this is coming from religious people. This is coming from people who... Follow the scriptures, coming from people who love God, who love the traditions of their faith, who love the worship in their temple. And they're, they're men of sneering in the people around them, right? And so it's because of the religious people's sneering that Jesus responds with this parable. It's because of their sneering of moving from muttering to sneering that Jesus goes into this story about the rich man and Lazarus who die and go into eternity. Now, again, even though there are principles in this parable about eternity, Jesus' goal is not to give a lesson on what the afterlife is like from this parable. Jesus's goal is to get at the heart of people who sneer, particularly religious people, people who love God, people who love the word of God, people who want to see God glorified in their nation. When they become sneerers, when they sneer, Jesus is getting at that heart. And so I'm going to look at this text. We're going to explore some of the details of it, but I'm going to warn you right now, today's message is not a message about hell. Today's message is not a message about the differences between heaven and hell. If you want a message like that, we've actually done a sermon series here at Greenbelt about a year and a half ago called One Minute After You Die. It was a three-part series. I did two of them. Paul did the other one, and you can find that on our YouTube channel, and you can get deep into this topic of heaven and hell. Today, I'm not going to focus on that because I think when we go down that rabbit trail from this text, we miss the point of why Luke recorded this here. Because it's not to give a theological position on eternity. Again, remember, Jesus is speaking to Pharisees. He's speaking to people who already have a clear understanding of hell who already have a clear understanding of heaven, they know the scriptures. They don't need a lesson on this. They need a heart lesson, just like you and I, right? We can get so obsessed on the details of certain parts of the scriptures and forget ultimately Jesus has come to make us new. That Jesus has come to set the captives free, to free us from the slavery of sin, to to heal the brokenhearted. And when that passage in Isaiah talks about the brokenhearted, that was when Jesus quoted that passage and said that this has been fulfilled in my day. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago, that that heartedness, that your heart is your entire being. And Jesus is saying, I've come to like heal your entire being. (laughs) I want to fix your heart. So... Some of you today might be disappointed that I'm not going to unpack this and give a doctrinal position about hell. And that's okay. That's okay. But I want you to examine your heart today. Look at your heart today. Because that is what Luke wants to do for each and every one of us. So let's look a little bit at some of the details of this parable. And then now uh, we'll, we'll, we'll dive in on how this plays out in our lives. So... The first thing we have to look at here in this story that Jesus is telling, two tax collectors, two, two sinners, but he's directed this one to Pharisees because of their sneering at him and because of their love of money that we read about in Luke 16 chapter, uh, four, uh sorry, Luke chapter 16 verse 14, right? It says the Pharisees who loved money, right? They heard this and were sneering at Jesus. Then he goes into this, right? So we got two, two men in this story. We have the rich man. And we have Lazarus. What's fascinating is Lazarus is the only time in one of Jesus' parables that the character has a name, right? It's always a manager. It's always a widow. It's always a rich man. It's always a farmer. It's the only one that has a name. And the name of this beggar, this name of this poor man, Lazarus, means God helps. God helps. You see, this is a man in extreme poverty who God helps. So when we study this a little bit further, you know, we kind of see that there's some neat stuff that's going on in here. And again, there's rabbit trails and I want us to avoid the rabbit trails, right? There's rabbit trails that come into here. Like, you know, eternal separation from God, like is hell eternal, right? And we can look at verses like, what is it? uh, Verse 26 here where Abraham says, and besides all this between us, uh, between us and you, so between Abraham and Lazarus in heaven and the rich man who's in Hades, there's this great chasm. It's been set in place, and those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone come over, cross over from there to us, right? There's this whole, this eternity thing at play here, and we can go down that rabbit trail and explore all of that. Um, we could go down the rabbit trail. Is hell uh, truly torment, right? Is it truly a place of eternal torment? You can look at verse 23, right? Where it says in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side, right? And and then further down in verse 24, the rich man says, I am in agony because of fire. And so we could spend all of this time unpacking this eternity of, of hell, this torment of hell. But again, there are principles in here, and they're important principles, but they're not the driving point of the story. Not the driving point of the story. The driving point of the story is our heart, our response to the story. Right? And so what I want us to do before I kind of get deeper into unpacking this is I want to ask a big question today. Instead of a big idea that summarizes this passage, I want to give a big question that you and I can sit in as we examine our hearts today before God. The question for myself that I've been asking this week, the question for you that I would pose to you this week is this. In Jesus's call to reach the lost and care for the poor, do I sneer or do I submit? That's what Luke is getting at here. For each and every person who calls himself a follower of God, who love the Lord, who love the word of God, who love the things of God, who love to see God at work in our lives, who love church, who love gathering together to worship, who love going to our Bible studies, who love going to our events that we put on. In Jesus's call to reach the lost and to care for the poor, do I sneer or do I submit that is the point that Jesus wants to make for each and every one of us so let's look a little bit here at these characters we have these two men we have lazarus and this couple of verses here at the opening of this parable paint a pretty grotesque picture of the condition of lazarus right if we look at verse 21 says here, so at the rich man's gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. You know, Continuing to verse 21, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So you have this poor beggar, Lazarus, who's covered in these open wounds, covered in sores. And he's longing for food from the rich man's table that longing for food is the exact same expression that Jesus used in the parable of the lost son when the lost son uh, left his rich father and spent all of his inheritance and he ends up in a pig pen feeding the pigs the, you know food and the, the pigs are eating these pods and he's longing to eat the food that the pigs are eating it's the same expression here this longing this longing for food, the longing from the blessing of God, right? And so that's what you see here. And in this, this man who is longing for blessing, this this man who's longing for food, this man whose name literally means God helps. Instead of receiving food, he's become food to dogs. <laughs> it's nasty. Like that's his condition that he's in. And then you have the rich man. And the rich man who is robed in purple robes and the purple robes signify great exuberant and luxury. It's great wealth that these robes represent. And this man loves his wealth. He loves the comfort of the comforts of his life. Right. And so again, these are the two people at play here. Someone in the lowest of low positions, And someone who's in the height of what society has to offer. It's a direct contrast between the tax collector and the sinner and the religious person, the Pharisee, who looks down on people who loves their comfort and loves their wealth and loves their position at the table and loves the fact that they're revered as scholars and and righteous men. He's contrasting these two groups of people exactly here. And so that's why what you're getting a glimpse here is the heart of God between those two groups of people. The heart that God has here is that God has this heart for the lost, which Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 15 and leading into chapter 16, that God has a heart for the poor. We read about that right from the beginning of the Bible, right to the very end of the Bible. God is a God who cares for the poor. He's a God who cares for the widow, who cares for the orphan. He cares for the foreigner. He cares for the alien. He cares for the least of these. And God has called and he his people since the beginning. Beginning of his history of drawing people to himself, he has called people to use their wealth, to use their gifts, to use their lives in his mission in the world. And throughout the history of God's people, sometimes we submit to that, and other times we sneer at it. And the history of Israel reflects that. The history of church reflects that. And quite honestly, the history in my own life, probably just like the history in your own life, reflects that. Sometimes we sneer. Sometimes we submit. See, as believers in Christ, there's a direct implication in this parable that's happening that our lifestyle choices and how you and I use our resources matters greatly to God. You see, we as Christians do not believe how you live your life matters on how you get into heaven or how you are separated from God for all eternity. We don't believe that because that's what's called works. That's the, the whole notion and pretty much every other religion on the planet believes this is you can almost think of it like a giant cosmic scale. That there's this scale, there's a balance in your life and your bad deeds over here, if there's a whole lot of them, if they outweigh your good deeds, you're going down. <laughs> but if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you're going up to paradise, even though the scale's going down, right? And so there's this cost, constant cosmic balance between your good and your bad. I've met many, many people in my life, who believe that, who never know without a shadow of a doubt that they're going to heaven or not, because they're in a constant state of flux between their good and their bad. Thankfully, the Bible teaches us something radically different. The Bible teaches us that none of us are good enough. None of us are good enough. Let me repeat that one more time. None of us are good enough to earn our way into heaven. And that's why Christ came. To seek and save the lost. That it's his life, it's his death, it's his resurrection that tips the scale in our favor. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus, all of the bad things that you've ever done, every sin, every thought, every action that you've ever done that was displeasing to God, it's gone. And all that's left is the righteousness of Jesus that scale goes right down and falls off the table. That's how righteous you are. (laughs) That's why Jesus came. But then how you and I live our lives, how you and I use the blessing of our lives, how you and I use the wealth and the possessions and the different things God gives us, there's implication here on how we use our lives, right? Because God wants you and I to have true hearts of compassion for people. That's what Jesus is getting at in this story, that he's asking religious people. How's your heart? Do you have a heart after my heart? Are you pursuing the things that I want you to pursue? In Jesus's call to reach the lost and to care for the poor, are you going to sneer at that teaching? (sighs) Well, that's not for me. That's for the pastor to do. Well, that's not for me to do. That's for people who have more money than me. Well, that's not for me to do. That's what we pay staff for. That's what elders are for. That's what life group leaders are for. That's what fusion leaders are for. That's what, you know, know, Bible teachers are for. That's not for me. Yeah, and every time Pastor Kevin says I should be concerned for this, I go, it's not mine. That's sneering (laughs) because that's the call of every single follower of Christ, (laughs) Every single person who loves God should love the mission of God in the world. Do we sneer at it or do we submit at it? Because what we're seeing here in this story is this rich man, this rich man wants you know, the comforts of God without the mission of God. He wants the blessing of God without being a part of God's work in the world. And there's consequences for that. <laughs> now, ultimately, the rich man probably never, you know, never believed And he ends up in this place separated from the love of God because he didn't have that heart because he had a heart that was gripped in sin, a heart that was gripped in comfort and a heart that was gripped by his wealth. And the reason why this big question is such a big question is it's a big question for me in my own life. Do I sneer or do I submit? Because I don't know about you, but uh, I like comfort. (laughs) Like I do a lot of things in my life in order to be comfortable. Right? I I you know, I, I love my lazy boy couch at home. I, I, I like my big screen TV. I like that my car runs well, I like that there's money in my saving account, I love that I put money away into my kids' education plan and my retirement plan, all of these blessings that we have, and these are all good things and there's nothing wrong with them. But if I am just using those things for my comfort and my blessing and my life and when God asks me to reach the lost and when God asks me to care for the poor is my response to submit to God's plan or is my response to sneer is my response to sneer. I want to be a man who submits. I want our church to be filled with men, women, boys and girls who submit to God's plans in our world and God's plan for your life. So I want to just kind of look very quickly as we wrap up our time together today of how can we submit more to the plans of God? How can we submit to what God wants us to do, to be a part of Jesus's mission, to reach the lost, to be a part of Jesus's mission, to care for the poor. How do we submit to that more naturally? Well, the very first thing is everyone needs to ask themselves, have you actually submitted to Jesus? Have you actually submitted to Jesus? Like Maybe you're here today and you've heard about Jesus, you know about Jesus, uh, you've been coming to church for a long time, or maybe you've been away from it for a long, long time. Right. But this is what Jesus kind of drives here at the end of this story here. When Lazarus, uh, sorry, not Lazarus, when the rich man in Hades who's separated from the love of God and he's in this torment and he begs Father Abraham, hey, could you send Lazarus to me? Get him to just dip his fingers in some water and he could put a couple of drops of water on my tongue because I'm in torment here. Father Abraham says we can't do that because of the chasm. And he says, okay, fine. If you can't take care of me, could you go back to Earth? Because I've got five brothers, and my brothers are living exactly like me. They're living with hearts gripped in sin and gripped in comfort and gripped in their wealth. They do not care about the things of God or the plans of God or the poor or the lost. Could you go and tell them so that they don't end up here like I am? And Father Abraham says to them, well, they already have Moses and the prophets. What does that mean? It means they already have the word of God. They already have the Old Testament, the first five books written by Moses, the prophets, the minor prophets, the major prophets, the wisdom literature, all of the the, the teachings of the Old Testament that point to God's plans, that point to God's coming Messiah and God's king who will be the king for all people. So they already have witnesses. They already have the story. They don't need Lazarus. And, Abra- and and the rich man goes, no, 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 they're not going to believe that. Send Lazarus. And Father Abraham replies, that if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And this is a direct, direct comment on Jesus' resurrection, that Jesus who is the, third, the second part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that he came by the power of the Holy Spirit into the Virgin Mary, that he was born just like how we are born, but he was fully God and fully man, that he lived a sinless life, and that he went to the cross convicted by sinful men and women and boys and girls who sneered at him, who sneered at him. And he went to that cross and he was beaten and whipped and nailed to these pieces of wood. And while he hung there, bleeding to death, suffocating to death, he looked down on the people who put him up there and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he died. And in his death, every sin was dealt with. My sin, your sin the things that have kept us separated from the love of God. And then Jesus' body was taken off the cross and put into a tomb, and he stayed there for three days. And on the third day, that Easter morning, 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead, showing himself to be God, showing himself to have victory over sin and death. And so we can look at the resurrection of Jesus, and we can either be convinced by it, (laughs) Or we can sneer at it. But if you want to submit to God's call in your life, it starts with submitting to the resurrection of Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you've never done that. And maybe you feel something that's kind of tugging at your heart right now. Maybe there's goosebumps on your arms, the hair the, <laughs> the, the, the hair on your arms is standing up, you're, you're tingled down your back, whatever that might be for you. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you, letting you know how much God loves you letting you know that you're not here by accident and letting you know that now is your time to come to him. And you can turn your life to Jesus real simply right where you are by just praying a prayer. And I would invite everyone to kind of pray this prayer out loud. Like I don't want anyone feeling like they're praying by themselves That the whole church family is praying this on your behalf today to pray together. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that Jesus died for my sin. Today I give you my life. Today I give you my heart. Today I turn to you. Come into me and make me new. And if you did that today for the very first time, we would love to celebrate with you and rejoice with you. A little pop-up shows up in the chat here at Greenbelt Online. We would love if you would just let us know who you are, your name and your email address, so that we could follow up and rejoice with you. And so that is the first way that we submit That we turn from sneering and we turn to God and God's plan for the lost and for the poor. We submit to the gospel of Jesus. And then the second way that we, you know, the the other point is for those of us who have done that, whether you just did it now or whether you've done it decades ago, right? How do we grow in submission? Well, again, the text kind of gives us the answer to that. You and I need accountability in our lives, right? When Abraham says in verse 29, he says, you know, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them, right? He's talking, Jesus is talking about the word of God. Do you let the word of God be your accountability partner? Are you letting the word of God transform your thinking, Are you letting the word of God speak to you in a way that changes how you live Or do you use your life to try to change the meaning of the word of God? See, even Pharisees did that. Like when we learn that the Pharisees loved their wealth in um, Luke 16, verse 14, um, the Pharisees had developed a doctrine, had developed a theology about money that believed that God shows his blessing to people by how much money he gives them. So, the richer you are, the more righteous you are in God's sight. The more wealth you have, the more you are loved by the Lord. And they take that from some teaching of Scripture. The problem with that is they've taken their love of money, they're sneering at sinners, they're sneering at the lost, the sneering of the poor, because they don't want to deal with those people because it's messy, it's disgusting with their sores and their problems and their sin, and we want to stay clean from that, and they develop a theology that I'm blessed because and the evidence of it is what I have. The problem with that, that is an incomplete teaching of Scripture. That's taking your life and making your life line up or or sorry, making the Bible line up with how you want to live. Because you can find so many other passages of the Bible where you see that actually poor people are blessed by God, that poor people are declared righteous by the Lord. And we can see other places, particularly in the book of Psalms, where the rich and the wealthy are actually called wicked and unrighteous. Because they're not following the Lord, right? That's the difference. Do we let the word of God transform our thinking or do we let our thinking try to transform the word of the word of God? And so that's why, you know, with a passage like this one here, of the rich man and Lazarus, we can get so into the details and be so concerned about the details of hell and miss the point. That God wants to look at your heart. That God wants to look at my heart. And are we going to let God change us? Are we going to let God use us for his glory, for his purposes, for his plans? Or do we just want a relationship with God that stops at what I get? (laughs) That it's about me and my wants, and my desires. When it comes to Jesus's call to reach the lost and care for the poor, will I sneer at that call, or will I submit to it? See, I want each and every one of us to grow in compassion. I want each and every one of us to grow into the mission that God has called us to. And for you, it might mean being a blessing to one person. For some of you, it might mean being a blessing to five people, ten people, a hundred people. I don't know. Only you and God will know that. But I know God has called each and every follower of, of him to grow in compassion because God is compassionate, to grow in our love for Jesus, to grow in our understanding of the character and nature of God, and to let that character and nature of God transform us more and more into his character and into his nature so that God would use us to reach the lost and bless the poor. Let's pray together. Father God, I praise you and thank you for your word and how it, it does. It gets into our hearts. And this text today, this reminder today really got into my heart this week. as i I've prayed and listened to you and, um, and just checked myself. Are there parts in my life where I know you've been asking me to reach out to people and I've refused? That, that's sneering to your call on my life. And God, forgive me for those times. God, are there times when you've asked me to care for the poor, care for people who are hurting, and I was more concerned with myself? God, that's sin in your sight. And forgive me for those times when I've done that. And so, God, I pray for all of us pray for all of us as a family of believers, a family, a church family here at Greenbelt, here in our city, in our nation, and around the world. God, I pray that you would use us for your plan. I pray that you would use us to reach the lost, to care for the poor, with a heart of compassion and submission. Because ultimately, God, we know from the teachings of Jesus, when we submit to your ways, all the other things that we're concerned about will be taken care of. So, God, let us put your plans first above our own. Let's put our plans second. And may you be first. So, thank you for this reminder today on the importance, on this important thing of our heart. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.